Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have always had a mind that stored a lot of useless facts and figures. <laughs> I, I tend to remember things that I later can't even remember where I heard them from. Uh, something will just jog my memory and a random fact will come to mind for me. <laughs> I, I did have an important lesson taught to me, though, uh, through this once. And I had a, a random fact just pop into my head and, and I shared this with whoever I was talking to. I don't even remember what it was really at the time or who I was talking to, but they, they got a, a, a strange look on their face. I do remember that. And when uh, I inquired about it, they said that they, they couldn't see how that could possibly be true, <laughs> that, that fact. And they logically walked me through it. And sure enough, when I investigated it further, it was not correct or true. And I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> and it, but it, it taught me a lesson, though. It is very important to understand where we get our news and information from. We need to understand their biases and make sure, to, to, the, to the best of our ability at least, that what we say is based in truth. There are many Christians that rely on what they see as Christian organizations for their news because at least they believe uh, that you know these are believers and they have the same worldview as they do. But is this you know, way of thinking even true? Well, from an article from Miles Wernz, uh, who writes for Christianity Today, they said that violence we are told, followed so closely the origin of human evil as to be almost indistinguishable. For soon after Adam's sin, violence appears, first in the skin taken from animals, Genesis 3.21, then in the murder of a brother, 4.8, and finally over the whole earth, 6.11. Violence follows humanity through the flood and into the world beyond it, taking root in generational fights of tribe of the tribes of Isaac versus Ishmael and Jacob versus Esau, nations that bear so much in common, divided by the very common history. This is the story of Scripture and of our own world. Now, to me, as, as he starts this out, it is interesting that they see the, the harvesting of animals as violence. <laughs> I mean, it's what he calls it here. Even though God created us to eat meat. But I digress. It is into this violent world, not some earlier, not, not some easier one, that Christ gave his disciples the instruction to turn the other cheek, to pray for their persecutors, and to give to those that ask without expecting things to be returned. They give the scripture reference of Matthew 5 38 through 48. These teachings have been. Uh, continuous wisdom ever since, especially when we are confronted with horrors like the terrorist attacks in Hamas in Israel this month. Following Jesus here feels so important. So could, uh, could uh, who could live 
that way in a world like this. Well, let me stop here for a second. This is where the author takes a harder swerve away from the truth. If, if, if I thought the way that this author, author thinks, you know, theologically, I could never be a banker because I am to never expect others to return what I loan to them, right? Also, they talk about turning the other cheek. Uh, let's look at this point just a little bit closer. Uh, from an article from David uh, Ghosh, he, um, he said that the New Testament contains numerous verses uh, providing guidance for believers who are mistreated by a friend, a loved one, co-worker, or even a stranger. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.39, Jesus uses the image of turning the other cheek to reject revenge and retaliation. From this passage, it is clear that for Christians, the maxim that turn about is fair play does not apply. This is not to say, however, that Christians must meekly allow themselves to be abused by others. Unfortunately, Matthew 5.39 is sometimes misconstrued in this way. In Matthew 5.39, Jesus is warning against responding in kind to those who mistreat you. He isn't requiring Christians to be doormats for thoughtless, uh, inconsiderate, rude, or vindictive people. Some Christians who are adverse to conflict use this verse from Matthew as an excuse for letting others run over them. This is not what Jesus intended. Christians are to stand up for themselves, for others who need help, and for what is right. The key to getting this right is in how we go about it. When you are mistreated, it is important to understand your and, and stand your ground. But it is even more important to do without to do so without bec uh, becoming like those that abuse you. When someone treats you poorly, uh, think of the message in Ephesians 4:15. Quote, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love when someone mistreats you means approaching them with the uh, intent of showing them the face of Jesus in how you handle conflict. When people mistreat you, begin by praying for them. Then let them know, honestly and frankly, you did not appreciate what they did. And in the process, show them how to disagree without being disagreeable. As, as a Christian, you have the right to stand up for yourself, but you have an even higher calling in these situations. The calling is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Because we are called to carry out the Great Commission, being mistreated by, by someone doesn't mean that you have to you have a, a chance to get even. Rather, it means that you have an opportunity to introduce someone to Christ by how you handle the situation. So so you see here, what we see is not that we are to be a doormat. We are not 
to allow someone to come into our house, rape our wife, murder our children, and steal our stuff. And then the next day, invite them to do it again because we're turning the other cheek, right? But what it, what, what that is, is what this author from Christianity Today is about to tell us is the right thing to do when it comes to Israel. You see, he continues here. He says, but that is what Jesus commanded. And it is this violent world for which he died and in which he was resurrected. It is into this violent world that the Holy Spirit was sent. And fruits of that spirit are peace, humility, gentleness, and goodness. That's, of course, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Perhaps we think such gifts and teachings are unfit for a violent world. But Jesus thought otherwise. See, see, I told you so. I told you that's where he was going. Perhaps, he says, such an approach to great violence, to turn the other cheek and to seek the good of one's enemies, seems nonsensical. And indeed, many in church history rendered exactly that verdict on Christian pacifism. Perhaps, as one objection goes, these teachings describe a world beyond history. Perhaps these are commands that we can heed only in the age to come. But this does not require, or this this does not square with a Jesus who loved his own enemies, which includes all of us. Or perhaps another objection goes, responding with limited force is justified when we when facing great evil. And Jesus meant his command only for interpersonal relationships. But this too falls apart when commanded with Christ's own example. When Peter attempted to defend Jesus in Gethsemane, Jesus healed his enemy, sheathed Peter's sword, and went away to die. Okay, (laughs) got to stop. Again, a misinterpretation of scripture. Why did Peter have a sword in the first place? Because Jesus told him to go sell his cloak and buy one. That's why. (laughs) He stopped Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane because it was his time to go, not because of some violent act. All right, he continues and he says, the prospect of a limited use of violence seems um, eminently reasonable, but as it follows sin, violence will not be so easily contained and made rational. Violence is deceptive, even or especially when it is well-intended retaliation for rank evils like terrorism. Wow. It produces, by its nature, more wreckage than we expect. What What the teachings of Christ offer is a refusal to justify the nonsense of violence. It is a refusal to call violence understandable and reasonable. It is a refusal to minimize sin or to follow its logic, whether by rationalizing terrorism or justifying violence in return. Okay, war, I'm going to say this again, war and violence are entirely two different things. So in other words, 
Just because you go to war does not mean you're murdering somebody. Just because you are involved in a war does not mean that you are committing the sin of violence. And to call any kind of violence a sin in this, in this type of case is just simply unbiblical. All right, he's, he continues, and he says, explaining how violence happens is a sinful, in a sinful world is no consolation to Rachel weeping for her children. For how do you explain hundreds dead in a music festival? How do you explain rockets hitting ordinary homes? How do you explain the bombs that answered those murders, hitting civilian apartment buildings and killing children in their beds? What kind of reason could stand up here. Okay, I'll tell you. I'm, I'm raising my hand here. The reason that that says that the terrorists targeted women and children, that's what they did. They had orders to target them. And on the other hand, Israel gave the Palestinians of Gaza advance notice of the pending invasion. Hamas, knowing this, is forcing their own citizens to stay there in the basically in front of the tip of their their missiles. Israel is doing everything they can to minimize any civilian casualties. He goes on and he says, to be clear, violence is not uniform. Terrorism is not the same as retribution, and killing civilians is not the same thing as killing terrorists. Okay, but then all of a sudden he can't, he contradicts himself here. He says, but, but, there's the big but, right? We are in risky territory when we try to establish grades of respon- uh, respectability within violence, as if some of it might approximate how God created us to live. The moral cal- calculus of violence must give way to a harder and more beautiful teaching that all people are created in God's own image, and the loss of any person is a victory of death, the last enemy Christ came to destroy. Okay, Hamas terrorists, they want death. That's what they say. They call it their beginning. He goes on to say that Christians, Christian pacifists is not about trying to make sense of the world's violence, then, but about bearing witness to the God who stands with the victims of that violence and calls his disciples to do the same. It is less about promising to fix violence and more about becoming the kind of people who treat violence as God did on the cross, and evil to be overcome with love and mercy. He gives a scripture reverence of 1221 there. Now, he says that in the crucifixion, God does not respond in human violence with more bloodshed. He offers the ones who killed him a place at the table. If violence is a uh, symptom of a world sick with sin, it cannot also be sin's cure. Does that mean a Christian pacifist is um, passive in the face of great violence? Hardly. We could point to pacifists serving as medics in combat zones and and translators and negotiators as chaplains and as relief workers. We could even point to pacifists who have lived in the Middle East as peacemakers and educators. (laughs) Well, it seems to me, I mean, obviously (laughs) he's, 
he didn't name off any kind of, you know, military stuff where, you know, uh, you're on the front lines anywhere. Um, and it seems to me that the greatest time of peace has, has been when you, a show of strength has occurred, particularly in that area. But he goes on and he says, this approach, bearing witness to God's own peace and decades-long conflict may seem far away from what is needed, but Christ quite literally offers just this form of peace. Remember that we who are Gentiles were once separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel for and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, God himself has suffered violence to make one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body reconciling us to God and one another. If we want to call this frail and unrealistic, we must say, the same for Christ. Incorrect. (laughs) He's just incorrect here. Christ paid our debt of of death through his death. He was not saying that you should never defend yourself. It's not what he was saying that at all. In fact, he paid our debt through this, quote, violence, right? And he, he kind of concludes here. He, he, he says, so, so let us pray for the church of Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Gaza to join hands in proclaiming that the Christ who has been raised from the dead will bring not only a sensation of violence, but also the administration of justice. And in that justice, true peace. Let us pray that those who are in the midst of this violence will continue to proclaim that Christ has come to unite Jews and Gentiles into one body. And let us pray that we would all name violence for what it is, sin. Okay, Okay, I'm going to say this one more last time. War is not sin, period. Defending yourself is not sin, full stop. So, so why would a, a Christian organization publicize such an unbiblical thing? Maybe it's not a Christian organization any longer. I, I wanted I wanted to bring to you this this article from Megan Basham, and she she writes for the uh, Daily Wire. She says the media has long framed Christianity Today, founded by Billy Graham in 1956, by the way as America's most influential Christian news outlet. The Washington Post, for uh, instance, regularly describes it as evangelism's flagship magazine, as does the New York Times. A review of federal election records, however, indicates that the views of the magazine's leadership and staff may be far out of step with ordinary evangelicals. Between uh, 2015, and 2022, just last year, nine Christianity Today employees made 73 political donations, okay? All of them went to Democrats. This tally includes President and CEO Timothy uh, uh, Dalrymple, uh, who gave $300 in two separate payments 
to the failed Georgia Senate candidate, Sarah Riggs Amico. Now, Amico's platform, which includes protecting abortion without exception and repealing the Hyde Amendment to allow the the federal tax dollars to fund abortions, also uh, contrasts sharply with the, the, the uh, the views of evangelicals who overwhelmingly say abortion should be illegal or in in all cases, or at least most cases. She is also at odds with traditional Christian beliefs when it comes to gender, sexuality, and religious liberty. Along with declaring herself a staunch LGBTQ ally, Amico promised to support the Equality Act. that's, That's a bill that the Heritage Foundation warns would would threaten parental rights over children who believe they're transgender. The conservative think tank has also said the bill would um, would decimate uh, the the conscious rights for medical workers and cancel religious freedom. So Southern Baptist Theological Seminary President Albert Moeller uh, put the uh, Equity Act in even sharper terms, saying that it represents the greatest threat to religious liberty in the United States in our lifetime and would totally transform the United States as we know it. Now, Dalrymple was not the the only member of the magazine's executive rank to donate to Democrats. Natalie Lenderhouse, uh, who, Letterhouse, who is vice president of advertising and, and partnerships, contributed 50 bucks to the 2020 Biden Victory Fund. The Federal Election Commission has no records of any Christianity Today executive giving to the GOP, though, since 1991. So, so let's talk journalistic standards, okay? Because you may say, well, you know, anybody can give, you know, their own personal funds, right? Uh, let's talk journalistic standards. The Society of Professional Journalists holds that uh, editorial staff should never contribute to candidates or campaigns. For reporters covering politics, the the SPJ goes goes even further, cautioning that almost no political activity is okay. Most large sector news outlets, including the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and NPR, abide by these standards and, and have disciplined or even fired reporters who, who flouted these, these, these rules. MSNBC even suspended host Keith Oberman without, uh, without pay due to three campaign donations uh, through his show. Uh, his show was clearly marked as an opinion, but he, w- he was docked that anyway. Yet two Editors at Christianity Today contributed to Democratic campaigns at the same time that they were covering politics. Between October 2019 and November 2020, news editor Daniel Silliman uh, made eight donations to five different pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ candidates, among them Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. In addition to Uh, possessing a a perfect voting score, of course, from Planned Parenthood and NARAL, Warren supported shutting down crisis pregnancy centers across the country. And her platform included requiring schools to admit biological men into the women's sports and single-sex spaces. She also pledged to allow a gender dysphoric nine-year-old to approve anyone she appointed as education secretary. 
Silliman also donated to uh, Renee Hoyos, who um, that's that's the Tennessee Democrat nominee to the U.S. House. Uh, Mo Davis, House candidate from uh, North Carolina. Blair Willingsham, which uh, was a House candidate from Tennessee, and former Senator Doug Jones, the Democrat from Alabama. All, although Silliman listed his occupation on the donations as historian, <laughs> his job title with Christianity Today was news editor. He not only oversaw the public's and the, uh, the, the publication's political co- coverage, he directly authorized a number of stories and conducted several interviews of a political nature. On October 27th, 2020, days before the presidential election, Christianity Today ran an article from Silverman about the former president, Donald Trump, switching his religious identification uh, from Presbyterian to non-denominational. In it, he stressed that Trump, quote, was not a regular churchgoer before he was elected president, unquote and highlighted a, a, a poll showing that almost uh, that most Americans don't think Trump has strong religious beliefs. Well, Silliman ended the article by citing uh, critics who believe Trump's church change was politically motivated. In another article in the run-up to the 2020 election, Sil- Silliman spotlighted President Biden's Catholicism and quoted progressive the- theologian Richard Mao. Uh, uh, his his opining that, that Biden is viewed as as having an authentic uh, authentic faith when he talks about his faith, it rings true. Well, Silliman then tied Mao to um, conservative Christian icons such as Chuck Colson and J.I. Packer. In in other pre-election reports, he he positively portrayed third party candidates as being above personal political ambitions and moderate voters as those who want to defend democratic norms against the, uh, the, uh, the, the partisanship that warps people into election deniers. In an interview just before the 2022 midterms, Silliman refrained from asking former um, Obama White House st- staffer Michael Weir uh, any hard questions at all. Uh, he just basically gave him softball questions. Not all of Silliman's political um, coverage centered on presidential hopefuls. He also covered the Fairness for All Act. It's, it's a proposal that would have granted special privileges to people who identify as LGBTQ. It was opposed by conservative legal groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom for undermining human dignity by threatening the fundamental freedoms of speech, religion, and conscience. Approximately three quarters of Silliman's report on the bill was devoted to those that uh, who favored the legislation. Though she she held a less influential position than Silverman, Emily Lund donated to the Democratic National Committee during the time that she served as Christianity Today's assistant editor and ed- editorial resident. In November of 2016, she complied. Um, uh, compiled a roundup of ministerial responses to Trump's election, and they were overwhelmingly negative, of course. Tom Askell is the president of the Theological Conservative Founders Ministries. 
Christianity Today covered his unsuccessful bid to lead the Southern Baptist um, Convention. Of course, that's the largest uh, Protestant denomination in the U.S. And, and their framing of his defeat as a win for abuse reform. Though he, like his opponent, favored reforms. He, he tells uh, things uh, that he was surprised to learn that the magazine's staffers donate uh, he, he isn't surprised that, that they donate to Democrats. He said, I grew up reading Christianity Today. My mom was an elderly subscriber, so I remember when it was helpful, a helpful publication under the leadership of Carl Henry and his uh, contemporaries. But of course, it's not any longer. Uh, I, given the fact that Christianity Today's donations flow entirely in one direction and and the person in charge of the political coverage appears to have a strong partisan you know impulse it it it, it raises the question of whether staffers are using their media positions to try to shift the opinions uh, of of evangelicals i mean wouldn't you say that that's kind of what it sounds like is happening i mean according to research from lifeway christian Re- uh, resources and and others that It is the evangelicals that are definitely and always have been, as a group, more conservative. They are the the backbone of the conservative movement. Um, And and yet, here we are. Here we are seeing Christianity Today. Just like like organizations like the uh, YMCA and the YWCA that that once started as Christian organizations, I mean, hence the name, right? Young Men's and Women's Christian Association. They're no longer that way. And Christianity Today is in that same boat now. It's just another propaganda organization for liberal Democrats. And you may have a, a differing opinion of that. I, I, I would love to hear from you on it. And of course, you can do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Organized Communications.